Good evening. Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast. It is myself, John Anderson, hosting tonight for a, a, a very special episode, a very, uh, very um, possibly quite uh, quite unique episode. Um, we'll, we'll do some introductions. We've got some uh, special guests with, with us tonight. Um, I've got my regular with me, Craig. Uh, good to see you, Craig. Hi, good evening. And uh, from his... Uh, from from not you've not been on in a wee while, Ian. It's great to see you. Well, it's a podcast, John, so not many people can see me. But oh. admire your sentiment. Hello, brother from another mother. Oh, thank you, thank you. And yes, sorry to those listening on audio. Ian is what was what was the famous snooker thing? He's <coughs> he's, uh, he's, he's hitting the ball beside the red one on for those on black and white yeah. televisions. Um, yeah, brown ball is but, uh, pink. The, oh, and there's Rona in the background. Hi, Rona. 
Yeah. See, she was concerned about this. But we're going to have to change angle. Hang on. Right. Oh, there we go. Ah, that's what's fine. I can still see my telly. Good. With all my links. We have a very special guest tonight. We we have Nick joining us. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to have you along. Uh, obviously, the subject matter tonight, those of you uh, watching watching this live or those of you who are maybe listening to this afterwards, you'll have seen the, the note on the, the subject matter tonight. Just uh, We will be talking about Siobhan Katigan. Um We're going to spend the whole episode covering um, the, the story that has come out in the last few weeks. Um, some of some of the revelations that have come out in the press, and we're we're going to look at that in a bit of depth. Um, obviously, again, I just have to reiterate that there might be some distressing or um, upsetting themes tonight. So, uh, if you're listening, um, please, you know, feel free to um, take that under advisement or you know if, if you're affected by anything that's mentioned in this podcast i'll put the warning out just now if you're affected by anything you can reach out to any one of us on the podcast my uh, messaging and dm is always open for any of the themes we touch on tonight um that is the the warning but this 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 is this is a this is so difficult um we're we're obviously we're talking about uh um a, a, a tragic event that um Craig you were on the podcast um many many months ago when the story broke uh that Siobhan Cattigan age 26 had uh, passed away suddenly um that was in November of 2021 um we we covered it at the time we talked talked at length about our achievements 19 caps for for Scotland um, was part of the squad who were riding on a high at the time in terms of you know World Cup qualification was 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 potentially on the cards at that point and it, it was it was such a it was obviously an absolute body blow to to anyone involved in Scottish rugby at the time and 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 we we all kind of felt it very acutely I mean given your given your uh, connection with the women's game as well Craig. It, um, would have obviously been a bit more, a bit, bit more difficult for you at the time. Um, yes, uh, to be perfectly honest, you know, um, it, it doesn't really matter how I feel about it. It's, yeah. it's, uh, and and you know, for me, it's uh, uh, the, the the big sh- the big shock and and, and the big um, uh, the, the the terrible fact of it is that there's a family involved in this um there's a partner involved in this there's friends there's teammates that have all been hugely affected by the loss um of siobhan and um i certainly um you know my heart still goes out to them um for such a tragic loss at the time and um still what's going on at the moment yeah i think i think that's that that does lead us on to obviously um i was actually speaking to to the guys before the podcast and actually we were commenting that from from november uh, <clears throat> when we, we heard the news it was it was very quiet there was there was no kind of further further follow-up there was very little in terms of there was very little in terms of um sort of you know, you would expect to see some remembering stuff and things like that, and it was it was fairly quiet, fairly subdued. Uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, a t- the Times uh, broke an article, uh, interview with uh, Siobhan's parents, which 
Um, if you haven't read it yet, I highly, highly implore you to go and do so. Uh, it is an extremely distressing read. It is very, very difficult to get through. Um, what we are going to do tonight, we're going to walk through just some of the some of the key things that have come out of that article and just talk a wee bit about that. And then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to, uh, back to sort of look at some more of those things the don can i just say yeah um, i was listening to um jim hamilton's podcast from yesterday and he has um professor bill ribbons on it who's a sports medic massively i mean he's worked with northampton saints the rfu all sorts of people and knows david walsh david walsh says that it is the most important article that he has ever written which bearing in mind that this is the guy who exposed Lance Armstrong puts this strongly into perspective. Yeah, that was one Ian, of you, when you, I was you, thinking about sport and scandals and things and mm. um, Lance Armstrong had crossed into my mind. Um, yeah, so that's, if David Walsh is saying that, that is obviously huge. Um, so yeah, so I think we should get into the, the crux of the matter now. Yeah, well, let's 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 look at some of the things. So I'm going to kind of go following the article. I'm going to start to look chronologically. Um, obviously, the article itself touches a lot on the the fact Craig's rightly pointed out. There's a family. There's you know there's there's a partner. There's there's you know basic humanity and real people involved in this. So, uh, but let's start February 2020. Um, Shabon, um, there was a concussion. Um, quite a, quite a clear concussion. Seems to be the first one that's documented. Concussion will be a recurring theme throughout this, of course. Um, the article suggests that she was allowed to then travel to to go back to to calendar at uh, home, and then was called back to have to return to camp and done that quite a few times over the week. So five days of travel, uh, 100 miles a day driving, whilst still showing concussive symptoms. Uh, and then played against Ireland um, seven days later. Um, this this was twenty this was twenty twenty. Just to be very clear, you know, we talk in rugby. Um, I'll come to you with this, Ian, because I know you've got views on this. We we talk a lot in rugby about due to care and how our um, how how far we've progressed in terms of head injuries. That um, that that's pretty shocking. <laughs> Well, it's um, it seems to be a, a common theme through all of the world, whereas we talk seriously about brain injuries and, and mental health problems, and you know it's all talk and very little action. Um, if sorry, on you go next. Um, I was going to say Bill Ribbons on this podcast because I listened to it in preparation for coming on here, and I'm just to make it clear, I'm I'm not a medic. I'm I can't. It's really interesting, but he was. I mean, it's what was it? 2011 until 2011. It was an automatic three-week stand-down if you had a concussion. That's right, yeah. yeah. And now it's not. And So they, they talk about progress, and you have to think, well, you know, the guys, the people playing rugby have only got bigger since 2011. They've only got stronger. So why is it now six-day? Well, it's not because World Rugby have changed. You know, the graduated return to play is in theory from the 1st of July. It, it's changed to 12, 13 days. But why was it ever reduced from three weeks anyway? Yeah, because that's a clear sign of regression. And that's even, well, yeah. possibly, you know, some of the facts were known. They, they were just suppressed, which 
know, maybe conspiracy theorist, but um, there's, uh, you know, there's stuff, um, well, we, there are articles which expose the fact, especially in Aussie rules football, um, where they suppressed, uh, and also in the NFL, as we know, mm -hmm. they suppressed knowledge of concussion injuries. Um, and that's part of the, um, it's part of the, the larger case. Um, but yeah, so, like I said, it seems to be more lip service being paid than actual, you know, paying heed to it. That seems to be, it's, you know, you, you know, you ring the bell, you put the right tweet out, you say all this and that, but then you don't actually follow it through. Um, and it's only when, you know, people come forward like uh, Siobhan's parents and say, actually, this is what happened. Um, that's when it gets exposed for the seemingly nonsense it is. It's still it's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because we are still in a situation, you know, even just uh, in this last um, summer series, Craig, we're still we're still banging the concussion drum. We're still talking about players who maybe return to return to play protocols don't necessarily seem to be. Um, not, not that they're not going to adhere to. I'm not, I'm not going to suggest that, but that uh, return to play protocols are being uh, utilised at their absolute minimum. And guys who have histories, you know, thinking about Johnny Sexton, for example, guys with histories of significant amounts of concussion, uh, concussive episodes in their career, are being patched up and sent back on. And you know, I, I've got no doubt in my mind that Johnny Sexton is a hundred percent certain in his mind he wanted to play. Of course he did, but it just it just strikes me as and you know all these examples. I was reading that and I, I I did I did do a double check on the date because I was thinking you know is that is that twenty ten or twenty twenty because that it seems like such a backwards thing to to have you know even like if any of us go to a doctor tomorrow with a concussion we'll be told not to drive. We'll be told not to travel. We'll be told to kind of rest. It seems strange, but uh, so that that that's what was was reported in the article. Um, we then move on to sorry, sorry, uh, John. You you sorry. asked me a question. You asked me a question. Do you want me to answer it or? Oh, sorry, Craig. Please do. No, no. I just uh, on my side of things, as far as I'm concerned, I totally understand, and I have on this podcast discussed the Johnny Sexton side of things, etc. Where where the difference lies is that um within professional sport it's the it's a professional job. Okay, I'm not we're not talking about um uh, the women's game here because they're not professionals, but um at at that level um the the diagnostic side of things comes in and, and that is getting better and better and better every year. So we do have um, not just um, team doctors, but we have world rugby doctors involved in all um, in all um, uh, international games. Now, I, I, I cannot, 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 and I'm saying this right now, comment on the women's international game because I don't know the setup because I've not really investigated the setup into into the international game for, for women as we know it's always behind the curve when it comes to, to something like this but but what I will say to um, those that are listening uh, and watching that within the, within the club game it is down to coaches and there is no diagnostic that you can do on the side of the pitch, 
on the pitch, at the side of the pitch, or in the club rooms, um, to ensure that that person is returning onto the field in a correct way. Because we are not doctors, we are not, um, you know, we're not medical medical professionals. So, on my side of things, from my coaching side of things, um, I have done it once and put someone back onto the field who absolutely one hundred percent told me that they were one hundred percent okay. Everything that that, that that I'm told to look at and to check, all was fine. And then when I saw them running back on the field, I called them back off and said, no, you're not going to continue. Um, but 99.9% of the time, depending on the coach, um, the players are you know the players are coming off the field and they are not going back on. No matter whether whether I think uh, that they're okay to go back on or whether they think they're back okay to go back on the you know, it's it's we follow the guidelines off if in doubt set them out. The the big problem you have is the coach um and what the coach does and who are who are who are around them and who are supporting them around on the field and whether they they give them the uh the backup or support or the other way around the, the the pressure to put a player back on the field and that is the and those those are the sort of the things that we, I guess are the are the worrying part of it all. I think the diagnostic is getting better and better and better, but um, it's more for me the worry of the the, the pressure, the the the, the surround it, yeah, everything surrounding, going from all the way from minis all the way up through uh, to international. You know, absolutely, and that. Um... That, that rings true actually in the, the next um the next incident or a situation that we're going to talk about. Um moving on to April twenty twenty one, Six Nations game against Wales. Uh Siobhan Catigan takes a, a knee to the head uh and goes off for a head injury assessment. Um has has a bit of blood as well uh, and and it's going to one one of the one of the accusations that's come out of the article uh, is that there was pressure from the uh, the head coach um, Brian Eason for uh, Shabon to get back on the park, uh, and the language used was quite quite um, quite colourful. Uh, but this this obviously this has been strenuously denied by the SRU, and I have to reiterate that. Uh, but the the article itself does does indicate that uh, Shabon passed that message on to uh, a number of players. Uh, Next. You, you've you've read this part of it. You know what, what was your initial feeling there? And it's it's so difficult because well, it's what Craig was saying. You know, it, it comes down to the coach. It's pressure. It's peer pressure. It's it's a cauldron, and that's one of the reasons for the HIA in the elite game that they're taken off the pitch because it's supposed to take that pressure away. Um, but I think, I mean, what really strikes me is you've effectively got one person's word against another. And this is the first point that I think this is why the SRU should have commissioned an independent investigation as soon as they heard about these allegations. Um, because you can't have a coach doing that. I mean, we, we saw it in the under-20s game. I think it was England against Italy with the French female referee in the last under-26 nations. The pressure that that medic was putting and the referee was absolutely superb. But you think there's a lot of people who, you know, medics, referees, all of that who can't stand up to somebody putting pressure on. 
Um, I don't think that the medics in the, and I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, um, I don't think that there are independent medics for the Scotland women's team in the Six Nations. So that, again, you've got a conflict of interests there. What position is that putting the medic in? Uh, I just, I think the whole thing, it's just heartbreaking at the end of the day. And you think you've got a girl who's, you know, a head injury, a, a possible injury, um, all of this. And what she believes she's hearing and whether or not she did hear, I mean, that's, you know, I, I've got to be very careful with the language I use here. But she genuinely believed that she was hearing that message coming through. She's a team player. I mean, from everything I've heard about her, she was the ultimate team player. Of course, she wants to get back out there. The other reason for the head injury assessment is, you know, players want to play. I mean, it's what Craig was just saying about the player who wants to go back on the pitch and he pulled him off. Players want to play and that's why these protocols have to exist because they are there to protect the players from themselves. I mean, I know I've had a concussion. I was an absolute bampot. I was absolutely hopeless. I couldn't have made a decision to save my life. And if somebody had said to me, well, I mean, I got mine skiing. I didn't get mine playing rugby. I would have quite happily skied with it if somebody hadn't said to me, uh, no, absolutely not. And it just, so, I mean, that's, it's just, it's just so, so difficult. It, it really is a difficult situation. And, and obviously I can't comment on it because I'm, I'm uh, I know Brian very well. So I, I, I honestly cannot, I, I would not want to be a commenting or drawn into it, but it, it's the, the, I'm right in saying within the timeline that she was, she did have an HIA and she was yeah. taken off the field and had an HIA and then she passed the HIA and went back on the field. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, the and 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 again, this is not, I'm not uh, trying to change the argument. I'm not trying to just, you know, to do it. But if she passes an HIA by, with a doctor, no matter what the what the what the coach is saying, whether the coach is saying, you know, is she okay, blah blah blah, or get her on the field. If she's passing the HIA, then then the 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 right of the coaches to put her back on the field, um, and so that's that. No matter what their words, what wording is said or or has been, um, uh, what's the word uh, indicated that has been you know has been quoted as being said. If she's passed her HIA, then she's free to go back on the field, and so it's it's a it's a really where where I've probably got more of more of a problem with it all is the fact that <clears throat> the the is the HIA process correct? Um, is the you know and and when when we've discussed for example Johnny Sexton and things like that, we've we've discussed that if there is someone who has quite obviously taken taken a hard piece of a body to another uh, to a head do we do we in fact even check them at the side of the, at the side of the pitch or take them to a little office inside the and in, inside the changing room and check them that way do we just say that that's the, they're, they're done for the day because that's what we do because you don't you, you honestly in, in my opinion in my mind i'm not a medical professional but if someone's taking a knee to the head they're, they're going to be impaired no matter no matter what, whether it's pain or whether it's whether it's a, a concussion, so 
it's a really difficult situation to be you know do do we we obviously need to look at and 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 i guess i cut off for a little while but i guess what you're trying you're saying earlier on about 2010 and 2020 is that world rugby are regressing in their in their safety concerns rather than accelerating their excess their, their safety concern so one thing um, that sorry one of the reasons <laughs> um one of the reasons that I think I've been invited on is that I'm a member of the core working group of progressive rugby, which I was invited to join in April. And again, like all of you, I'm, I'm not a medic. Um, and I have learned a frightening amount of stuff about the HIA process. Um, so HIA step one, while it can confirm a concussion, it cannot actually rule out a concussion. Mm -hmm. And that to me, as a lay person is really quite terrifying. And then there's, and you get this a lot. I think it was the, I think it was the first South Africa, New Zealand test. It was when um, Faf de Klerk got taken off and the, the pundit or the commentator said, oh, he's gone for an HIA. And, you know, a year ago before I was involved with progressive rugby, I wouldn't have questioned that. I immediately put a tweet out going, he hasn't gone for an HIA. He's off the pitch because he's just been knocked out. And it's it's that it's the it's the language, especially that commentators use around and pundits that they mm -hmm. use around this. You know, he's gone for an HIA. No, he's clearly showing level one concussion symptoms. That's not an HIA. That's straight off the pitch. So, I mean, as you were saying, Craig, if somebody's taken a knee to the head, they shouldn't be going through the HIA process. They should be they should be having a sit down on the bench and being you know being monitored for the rest of the match. Mm -hmm. What I'd ask as well is, I mean, is the AIA process actually fit for purpose? Is there a way that players can maybe train themselves to figure out? Because it's like three questions, like sort of, where are you? You know, do you know where you're playing? What's the score? That kind of thing. Um, there was a really interesting article in Wales Online earlier this week, might be the end of last week, which explains what happens when a player goes off the HIA and the baseline testing that they do. And so they do a test at the beginning of every season and I, I don't know the details of the test, but basically the conspiracy theory is that you could fudge that test quite a score. And then, so if you get taken off for an HIA, you are more likely to pass that HIA. Yeah. And I don't think, because then I was asking one of the medics in progressive rugby, um, I was asking if, they compare the baselines year on year because I mean I'm a risk specialist that's that's my kind of thing and it's like well you know do you see if do you look and see if there's been a deterioration during the season and he said I don't think they do and that again I'm like well I mean surely that's just common sense and also because then if somebody is trying to play the system you're far more likely to pick it up yeah it's a, we we did some work um uh, a few, a couple of years back, a few years back, um, where we worked with um, uh, a fairly renowned brain specialist, um, and we we brought in um, a similar test that they do with the NFL, and we just trialed it. It wasn't it wasn't used as a yeah you've you've got, you've got you've got concussion or you haven't got concussion on you go and play. We didn't. It was it was just something to trial and it was you took um you had a you had a um an ipad and you had to um 
answers to it. There's a numerical set of questions on, on, on the iPad or on you. I'm trying to remember back. It was something to do with you had to match numbers on an iPad and you were timed at the start of the season. All of your times were then taken. And then um, if you suspected an HIA, uh, sorry, suspected a head knock, we would take the player, put them in front of the iPad and ask them exactly the same question and time it. And you can work, you can, and you had a, if they're at this, if they're lower than this time, it's okay. Or, or the same time, if it's higher than this time, then there's, there's an HIE. That, you know, there's a head knock here and there's a concussion. Now, it wasn't a concussion. Sorry, it was a. There's something happened and you can't. You know, they they shouldn't be playing anyway. We never used it that way. We did do the tests on players that had agreed to do to to to, to do that. But I think the test is a similar. I think similar so. Yeah. Thing. I think it um, is, yeah. Yeah, but there's definitely, you know, we never discussed about matching it, you know, trying it every six months and resetting it every six months or comparing any because we just we just tried it out. It was just something to, to, to as part of the study. Um, but I think if, if, you know, and again, this is conjecture, but if it's being used as an HIA, it's being used as a, as this person... Um, uh, can cost no okay on the back back on the field because that's you know the professional the professional um, and again I see, I use that in a uh, you know in context with the women's game that they're not but they're in a high a high performing sport so they're looking you know they're looking for a quick check to make sure everything's okay and then stick them back on the field and that's where again I've got I I slightly have a difference with the with with the um, uh, you know, I'm I'm maybe looking at this on the other side of things. Of maybe you know we're needing to do more with that process rather than what the coaches were using at that point in time. Because at that point in time, I don't it may not have been fit for purpose. Um, and that's but that's what they were told to use. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean that's the protocol. That's that's mm. what's in place. And I don't think. I mean. It, it's it's a world rugby protocol. Yeah. It's not for with the best will in the world. It's not for the SRU or any other union to change. I mean, they could, I suppose. There is nothing to stop them advising world rugby or saying we don't think it works. Getting somebody like James Robson up in front of world rugby. But at the end of the day, this that one does come from world rugby. Yeah, and then you get the and 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 I hope. This isn't taken as me being frivolous, but you then have a situation where um, if, for example, the SRU took a stand and said, if any of our international players, if we have any doubt at all in our mind that they've got a concussion, they're coming off the field, you then have external pressures, as in, um, uh, what, I'll call them shareholders, but people involved in the SRU, then you have people, um, uh, fans, you then have pundits, you then have press all saying, well, why did Hamish Watson not come on the field? And then you have Hamish Watson out in the background going, I was fine. I didn't, you know, I could go, I could go back on the field. And so it all then creates a spiral if they are stepping and everyone's saying, well, actually the world rugby doesn't say that you should do that. And yes, are you are wrong? And then it all just snowballs that way as well. And as you said, it's a high performance sporting environment. You know, why would you, and this this is very definitely not being me being frivolous. It is me playing devil's advocate. But why would you potentially put yourself at a competitive disadvantage? Yes. And 
you know, even if it's the right thing to do, there's a huge amount of pressure, especially in the women's game. You know, you've got sponsors, you've got all of this, you know, Scottish women have had a really tough time mm. with results and things like that. You, you're not going to, unless someone forces you to, you're not going to competitively, competitively disadvantage yourself. Well, we, so, sorry guys, sorry, only go, uh, I was just going to. I suppose, you know, what with, um, what with, you know, uh, what Brian Eason is alleged to have been overheard saying, um, you know, he's just saying that probably because Cathigan is one of the best players on the pitch. And he knows what he can bring to that team. Um, and also, I don't know how their comms work. Was it even directed at that situation? Yeah. I mean, pardon me, if it was, then it's not acceptable. But we don't know that it was. And part of me, I don't know Brian Eason. I don't have any skin in this game. But that's another reason for an independent investigation. Because it might be that this is out of context. There could be all sorts of things going on here. And you want to make sure that people have actually got the right story. Yeah, because what I'd, you know, sort of best possible scenario of what's what he said is, um, I want her on the pitch because uh, she's one of the best players and we know what, can, what she can do. But we don't know that he knows she's been KO'd or, you know, has definitely gone off for an HIA or, you know, what have you. Maybe it's just more of a hopeful thing. Um, you know, whereas... In other situations, you know there's been not exactly malicious intent, but people have gone, right, we know this player's injured, especially in like NFL and things like that. We know this person has this injury, but we want them on. We are forcing them on. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely a, a difference there until we know all of the facts. Um, yeah, because we, we, we don't know if you said it or not. And that's, yeah, that's, and, that's, and that's the thing. And we don't know the context it was said in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So will we, will we move on to so slight slightly slightly different um, situation now? We'll move on to uh, the the sort of next next thing in the timeline. The, there's description of the two. There's three weeks in Italy uh, in the autumn of 2021. Uh, there's some discussion about, and it's interesting. You guys all mentioned high performance sports environments. There's a mention about the kind of type of environment uh, that <clears> rugby <throat> is. Uh, Alex Popham has has talked about this at length as well about the the, the continuing um, macho environment that rugby kind of rugby uh, high performance environments tend to be. Um, descriptions of you know struggling, Shabon uh, struggling with anxiety during the trip, struggling to speak up. Um, Ellen Dixon and uh, Rachel Malcolm both spoke to her prior to a game to check if she was in the right headspace to play. Um, there, it just, uh, I mean, it's interesting for me that you've got, so obviously we've had, uh, had the situation with New Zealand rugby, New Zealand women's rugby recently, speaking about kind of toxic environment that existed, making people very unhappy to be in that environment due to, you know, the constant criticism, constant, you know, the sort of way that people are, are talked to. I'll come at you first, Ian. Like, we, we've talked before about this, um, about that, that that kind of toxic environment and how we think in some ways the men's game is moving away from that. Um, you know, players talk about kind of truth sessions, they call them, but, you know, there, there is almost like a players are very critical of themselves, but almost 
you, you think the environment that Gregor Townsend's created for Scotland is quite, you know, you'll keep your mistakes honestly and then you, you, you move on. It doesn't seem to be a, a shouting and swearing type of environment, but it was quite it's quite surprising to see that written down describing the, the that trip to Italy. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it seems we should be moving away from a bullying culture. You know, like you think about when we were kids. You know, it's uh, well, possibly, you know, you get these dict- dictatorial sort of coaches um, just shouting at you like, "Oh, you need to do this. You need to be harder." You know, it's there's a lot of, especially with uh, I think West Coast Scottish people. Um, usually, everything's quite aggressive. You know. There's a lot of effing and blending, and you should beat the even football, you know. Uh, so I think, I mean, what we have there is, um, you no, know, she's been told that she's not loud enough. She'd be more like whoever else, you know, because the names are blurred out. Um, man management, sorry, player management needs to be more nuanced now. You will have loud, abrasive characters in the squad. You will have quieter members of the squad who will still do you the same job on the pitch. You just need to sort of nurture them and sort of bring them out of their shell or, you know, just make sure they're comfortable in whatever size shell they're in um, and not try and make them be someone who they're not. Um, And although we talk about, you know, this improvement in culture, I remember, like, the very first press conference um, for Glasgow Warriors I sat in on was when Fraser Brown had just been made the captain. And obviously, you know, the work he's done for mental health charities. But this just followed on from Matt Smith announcing his retirement from rugby and how he didn't feel that there was an environment at the Glasgow Warriors where he could go and speak about um, you know, mental health issues or you know, performance issues and what have you. Um, so, again, like I said, it's, you know, we seem to have pay a lot of lip service to it, but not particularly follow it through. So if Siobhan's you know, being told, you know, you need to be more like this than this, um, why is she being told to completely change her personality and style? You know, we know what she was like. As, she, as a performer, she's doing her job. It's around the team to bring everyone together to increase their performances, improve their performance level. That's a, that's a difficult one, Ian. Because, and and then I need to then look at my outlook on on rugby. I I, I went from a male a male coaching side of things to a, a female coaching side of things, and I did change my my coaching style completely um, because I I'd grown up and I have come through rugby of being shouted at and told get on with it and do it or you're dropped, and that didn't work for me when I first started and I it became very, 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 very quickly, I realized that um, my coaching style was wrong and I changed it. The issue I have though, just, just, you know, can I be very, very clear on my side of things? I will still talk to cut, talk to, to players on a pitch and say, I need you to be louder. I need you to be uh, more communicative because Communication and talking on the field for me is one of the biggest parts of the game. So, on that particular wording, 
and and again, I'm, I haven't read that part of the article, so I, I I don't know what else is in there, Ian. So I'm 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 not trying to pick you up, or I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to say on my side things. It makes me kind of start thinking about my own coaching side of things. I don't equate me telling someone I need you to be loud, I need you to communicate more with a bullying culture. However, if there is, I usually follow up with a discussion afterwards. And uh, how are you, you know, how we talked about this, what are you thinking? But, you know, is there anything we can do to help you with that? And that's, that's where the, that's where the secondary part of the conversation has to be is yes, you know, on the training field, things do get heated and, 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 Things are, you know, usually I'm, I raise my voice because I can't hear, people either aren't hearing me or I get frustrated at times when people ignore what I'm asking them to do. Um, so there are times at least that does happen. I tend, you know, again, it's the, the old adage of don't single people out, you know, talk to the team rather than one person, etc. But so what happens on the training field sometimes may go down that route, especially with it being a rugby, being a sort of a um, the word, a contact sport and a, and a um, what's the word, how can I put it, a more combative sport as such. But when you go to, you know, and, and, and so maybe maybe it can be looked upon as that coach is being loud and shouty, you know, he really shouldn't be doing that. But on the other side of things, it's what's going on in the background. Are they being... Are they being looked after that way? Because I do. I always my, to 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 my players to say, look, I was shouting at that point, but the reason I was shouting was because of this, and I was frustrated with this, and we'll talk about you know. So that's that's the big question to be asked. So, so the article itself states, um, so there's no place for anxiety, and so Siobhan had literally uh, been literally screamed at several times. There's no place for anxiety on this team and being scolded consistently for not being loud enough. So I think that, like, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, Craig, and I've, you know, I've been in coaching environments myself where exactly that you do raise your voice and you do, you know, you say, yeah, we try not to single players out, but sometimes you need someone to do something mm. and that you have to, and that's part, that's part of, we're, we're not talking about uh you know, it's a different type of environment, a different, you know, like we've all had situations where you're in your job and you don't expect to be shouted at in your job. That's, that's fair, but sport does continue to still be different. And, but I think the term scolded consistently does indicate that there's a, an element of singling out there. That and even the next paragraph, quite right. but again, I mean, the next paragraph falls on something Craig said. You know, when Craig said he, you know, he'd go and follow up afterwards if he'd maybe shouted at somebody during the training session. Yes. Uh, they were clearly concerned yes, to the coach at manager Alan Dixon, um, and Siobhan and Room Dash if she was in the right headspace to be selected for the next game. Why wasn't this followed up? Yeah. Um, because there wasn't enough follow up, and this. And I think that's the, that's the worrying bit for me is the fact that if if you're if you've got someone who is a Scotland Cup player who has had all of these traits as a fairly abrasive back row player, and then you're, after a period of time, they're now starting to have anxiety and they're, and they're talking about anxiety on the field, then there is something wrong, whether it's with them, whether it's with your style of coaching, whether it's with something that's going on in the background. And again, that's the situation of, well, 
hang on a minute, that player has changed dramatically from where they were um, when I first knew them, um, when they played the game. Now, if it's not a positive change, then that again, just as Ian says, the follow-up has to be there. And and that that's absolutely correct. And again, you would expect that in any environment that you were in. You know, we've we've all we've all got jobs, and certainly I've been in positions where you know managers should good managers, not even good managers, managers, people, colleagues, whoever might pick up. And you know, if you're doing slightly different or you're feeling slightly different, and in that type of environment as well, I think it's you know obviously we are talking about a situation where. Players, players want to play, and they're conditioned in this environment. And it, it is—it's really difficult because players can be really difficult to work with in these environments. But if you're having to intervene, where you're, you know, literally having to ask the question, "Are you in the right head space?" Then that's probably indicative that you're not, and uh, that that follow-up and that duty of care probably need, needed to to be a wee bit better at that point um and that that kind of brings us on to probably the next point and i'll, I'll come to you next now the, the article from here it, i mean it's already an incredibly difficult read at this point but it starts to detail some of the deterioration and some some of the issues uh, siobhan starts to suffer quite badly paranoia uh, anxiety communication becomes an issue with with the sru um the, there's there's issues here and obviously you've you've mentioned about your background and stuff. There there is issues about so the press are pummeling into the SRU a little bit about the various things that they can't say regarding the medical care that, that's yeah. taken place. And I, I guess it'd be interesting to hear your point of view on that. Um because the article, the first article itself is pretty damning of the care, and certainly the parents have spoken about reaching out for more care. Um, and and the response was obviously they're covered under kind of medical license that they can't, you know, general medical council says they can't really disclose patient confidentiality, which is absolutely correct. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll pass to you on that. And you can maybe give it, give us, give us your view on. What the, I know, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is the bit I think even Jim Hamilton said in the podcast I, I keep referring to that this is the point, you know, I had to put the article down and walk away and then come to it because it is absolutely heartbreaking. And the idea that Siobhan, Siobhan's family believe, strongly believe, as the article articulates, that they were let down and not just by the SRU. I mean, it's it's a whole catalogue of, I, I, I just, I don't have the words for it. And it's, it's just, it's just so sad. And it's, it, I, I just, I just find this really hard to talk about because what keeps coming to the front of my mind is that this is a family who have lost a daughter and who tried so hard to get her help and for whatever reason that didn't happen and I mean you were saying earlier um John that 
you'd, you'd done a lot of research and you'd written a lot of notes for this as as did i because it's such an emotional subject that you want to do it justice and one of the things you know well-being is one of the the three key themes that the sru focus on which is absolutely brilliant but i think what we've all been saying here is that you know is it just lip service um and certainly what one of the the medics at progressive rugby said to me and what a lot of other people have said to me is that compassion and player welfare has to extend beyond the playing field it's not just you know while somebody's undergoing a head injury assessment or while somebody is um you know going through rehab because they broke their leg it, it's all of it and it's what craig was saying earlier that when you notice differences in someone negative differences in their personality you know they're, they're they've become withdrawn for example um they're anxious surely i mean i i don't know i mean you, you follow up i it's just i'm talking in circles here because i just i can't believe what happened at the end of the day i mean it is just absolutely unbelievable and it's it's terrifying as well because you think if that could happen to to Siobhan, what's to say it couldn't happen to somebody else? And and uh, that that's I mean that's my that's my yeah I mean that's my real I have said when the the David Walsh article was published I said right away that there needs to be an independent inquiry into this and it is not about blaming people. It is about making sure that the processes and the protocols in place and that the support in place is adequate. And you have to look at it and it needs to be independent because you can't mark your own homework. That's an absolute basic. And it is, it's to make sure that it's to learn from this because this cannot have been in vain. You know, it need, then you talk that when the SRU talks about player welfare, I mean, surely the first thing is something this awful, you need to make sure that nobody else goes through this. And you, you're never going to, it's never going to be perfect, but it should be the processes and protocols in place. And I'm not talking about the HIA, I'm talking about how Siobhan was cared for when she came back from Italy. Um, you need to make sure that you're doing everything possible to support people. Um, you, you add in COVID into all of this and, I mean, it's just awful. And this is one of the worrying and my, uh, probably my uh, more um, upsetting side of things is the fact that um, the truth is that because the, because, and we talk about the women's game and the women, the professional athletes needing to be paid, um, uh, you know, uh, paid as a as a job and and do it as a as as the the living. The money's not in there at the moment to do that. We're being told the money's not there to do that. What if they can't pay? And if they can't pay their players, what else are they not paying for? And 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 that's the again that's the you know we we have you go to club level and you have clubs that have teams from primary three all the way through to 
um, uh, senior level that don't have physios. And we're talking about a, 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 we're talking about a game that is a, a game of attrition. It's a game of 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 um, of, of uh, that can be described as a game of aggression, a game of contact. So it's down to those people to then go to their own physio if they have a problem with a, a leg or an arm or, or you know or or a mind physio, as in going to get checked up because of of a of a of a concussion or something like that. Um, and that's that. That's where you you know we we can't. In my opinion, we can no longer play at this anymore. The funding needs to be there, and I'm sure there is funding there, and 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 they they feel they are doing the best they possibly can at this moment in time. But I don't think, as we've talked about regularly on this podcast, it's not enough because. I can, you know, we're finding that there are players, male players within the game that are coming to the fore from five, ten years ago who are now having problems and they're saying that they weren't looked after. I'll tell you right now, I can guarantee that that the funding and the doctors are all in place. As we talked about next earlier on, there's, we don't think there's an independent doctor looking after women the women's game in the international form, never mind anything else. But I'll tell you what, there's an independent doctor with the club, you know, the, the, the premiership, also the European championships, also the um the the, the international games, um, for the men's side of things. And and that's where the juxtaposition lies. How what's the difference? And I think I mean Alistair Reid wrote an article, he's written several articles in the time since David Church's article was published. And he asked the question, would the standard of care have been the same if this had been Finn Russell or Stuart Hogg? Mm. And, you know, and he was looking at it in light of the, of the Review of Cricket Scotland and saying, you know, is the SRU institutionally sexist? And that's a... It's a really difficult one to to look to think about, to look yeah. at, and I, just to think. You know, I mean, the money in the game and all of that. The, the idea that the standard of care could have been different, we don't know. But again, that's something that an independent review would look at, and it could look and say, "Well, we do this for the men. Should we be doing this for the women as well?" So I I think I tweeted that something like 24 hours after, or maybe in reply to Arthur Reeds, and I said, yeah, if that was Hogg or Russell, mm. well, Hogg, Hogg would get a, you know, police escort limo down to <laughs> Ross Hall. Finn Russell maybe get the bus fare. Um, but then, it, like, when you look at things like, you know, the film Concussion that I watched earlier um, and, you know, read into that, and what I think happens is that, and with the Aussie Rules one, um, and it sounds like, well, I, I mean, it sounds callous, but I imagine it's almost how some of them, but when you hear some of the sort of comments made uh, in the Stephen Thompson lawsuit, for example, it is a sort of, um, it's like a profit loss thought. They view the players as commodities. And it's like in Fight Club when Ed Norton says, you know, he, he recalls a bunch of cars. What they do is they either figure out, is it worth it to do a, a whole recall of cars to settle lawsuits or to t- keep selling the cars. 
So is it worth it to keep, you know, hammering these players out, getting your money's worth out of them, and then, you know, if, if a lawsuit came along, you could maybe try and fudge it. Um, and that's why there was so much suppression of medical evidence um, back in the mid-2000s. Um, I mean, maybe not fudge it exactly, but, you know, try and downplay the um, the symptoms or, or the, you know, your your part in these instances. There's, there's a couple of things to look at, though. I think, I think to go back to your statement, Nick's, I, I don't think the SRU are, are, are sexist. I think rugby as a whole is sexist. Um, yep. And the SRU are just one of the cogs in the wheel. Um, and, absolutely fair. Um, and I think the other, to go the other way, with uh, to talk the other way with you, Ian, you know, the problem you have and the problem the players have, and it's been described quite a lot in many different books and different comments that have been made, there are far too many younger players now on the scene. And uh, way back, even back to, you know, early years, there's younger people there that will fill the space. And so again, yes, you're, I think you're right, especially professional t- teams, they are, the, the players are commodities, and if they're not performing, they can. There's another one on the ranks to come along and and, and fill the gap, um, and and I think you you'll see that. For example, if you see some of the reports that came out of Glasgow, and and, and I'm only seeing Glasgow because that's what what I've seen written. I'm not seeing this doesn't happen at Edinburgh. But if you look at some of the players that are coming out of Glasgow that may may not have had or may or may not having the career that, say, Finn Russell or or um, uh, or, or Stuart Hogg are having. Stuart Hogg. And they're missing, you know, they, they're saying they're not getting the, the, the sort of the backup or the, or the help that they need. I'll tell you what, Stuart Hogg and Finn Russell and all that will be getting all the help they need because they're the... They're the ones that bring the money in. They're the ones that are um, that are the the, the, the headline players, the, the the marquee players. To to use a phrase that the English um, Premiership use on a regular basis, you know. So I'm not saying that 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 all clubs are the same, but I would say that you know you, there are those players within professional clubs that fall between the cracks um, because they're maybe not at that le- you know. The, the, they don't have that following, or they're not playing um, to the level that, that 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 they're on the pitch every every weekend. I think that's an absolutely valid point, Craig, and it goes to the heart of. So, in that instance, it goes to the heart of professional sport. And again, we'll yeah. use professional yeah. sport as the descriptor. Obviously, we're again acutely aware that women's rugby is not professional. Yeah. Maybe it goes to the heart of high performance sport, and we, you know, I've been very candid on this podcast quite a few times. That you know, we talk about exclusion in sport, high performance sport, and its very being is exclusive and doesn't, you know, it it is a case of perform or go. And there's loads of arguments to to say that that is short sighted and is not in the best interest of the individuals and is not not creating an environment where people get to perform their best or are able to showcase their talents to the greatest extent. But that's the reality of elite sport. And, you know, that that really kind of, maybe, maybe there's a culture shift in all of elite sport that needs to happen 
um, which would be incredible. But it doesn't seem likely that that would be the case because, again, sport by its very nature is competitive and you've got young, as Craig says, you've got young guys champing at the bit and any opportunity to take someone's place, you know, any misfortune, anything that happens, those guys will be delighted to go and get on the park. Yeah, it might be their mate that's suffering, but they'll still be proud because they get further their career. And that's the nature of it. And it's it's really, it's horrible to talk about. It's horrible to talk about. So, But that's in why they keep forcing on, you know, players who might, who we assume might be injured. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the most shocking one I've ever seen, and I, I've spoken about this a couple of times because it was absolutely horrifying to see it live. Um, Connor Murray v Glasgow Warriors. I was, you know, sitting pitch side, and Murray gets decked and he's killed. Like he hits the, I think Swinson, Swinson ran into him um, and caught him with his forearm. Murray went to tackle him. Swinson caught him in the forearm, right in the jaw. Murray face planted. He was down for three seconds. Didn't move. Face down. Didn't he move? Doctor comes on, says, nah, he's fine. Straight back on. So uh, I think uh, Warriors had scrum ball. Ball went back to Josh Strauss. Josh Strauss, what did he first do? Looked at Conor Murray and ran into him at full pelt. And that's like a rampaging Josh Strauss. Like, hand out, like, I am going to smash your face in me, man. And you, you feared for Murray at that point because it was... I I remember one of our um you know one of our friends uh Mr Wallace uh fierce you know fan and uh, frequent listener um he kind of had a little bit of a go at the Irish FA on Twitter about it I was like Dan don't pick that battle because no it's, you know, no, it's, I mean those, this is a unilateral problem that we are we are not paying proper heed to head injuries we all know it. we've seen it from ages and the day of reckoning is coming at the risk um, of something all biblical uh progressive rugby published when did they publish it i think last week or the week before um and this is just at the elite level not the community level but they published a series of quite straightforward measures um that they would like to see implemented in the game things like a man a blanket minimum 21 day non-negotiable stand down um limited contact training, sorry, game limit reduced to 25 games. Because of course there was that incident when England were playing Australia and I can't remember the fullback's name. He went over his 30 game limit. Uh, and it's it's all that sort of stuff that it's, yeah, it's, compa- you know, it's, it's high performance sport. It's a competitive environment. There are all sorts of pressures going on. You want to win, but win at what cost? And I think that's, that's the lesson that it's just it's so difficult because that's the lesson that world rugby and then the unions feeding into world rugby that they they need to learn and i think some people do realize that i think they know that um alan gilpin did um alan gilpin who's the chief exec of world rugby did an interview with the telegraph last thursday um they are now world rugby are now not speaking to progressive rugby there was quite, uh, I believe, quite a constructive dialogue going on. I was not party to it. Um, but because Alex Popham is involved with progressive rugby um, and he's involved in the litigation, um, they won't talk to us, which is 
I think it's so sad because at the end of the day, we've all got the same objective. We all love rugby. We want to make it safer and we want to protect the players. And it, I mean, it is difficult because the litigation is going on and I keep having to say on our WhatsApp chat, um, it will be the insurer's lawyers because the insurer's lawyers are desperate to avoid a large payout. They're not going to be able to. I mean, there's now, I think, close to 200 players involved in the litigation against the RFU, the WRU and World Rugby. I don't know how many are involved um, in Scotland yet. I believe it's close to 2025. Um, there's something going on in Ireland. Um, this is going to get, this could, it, it could potentially end rugby if it's not properly handled. Um, but the, the bit, and I, I keep harping on about this, but the bit that really concerns me is that we're talking about the litigation is dealing with the players. It's already happened to them. And that is desperately sad. But, not, you know, the money will make sure that they are taken care of, that their families are taken care of, that they get the best possible medical treatment. In the case of Siobhan, the litigation, the money will get any money that's won will go to charity. Um, as her father said, they've already lost. They've lost her. Um, but what concerns me is the people who are playing at the moment, because World Rugby is not implementing changes that could be implemented to protect them. So they get caught between, as a, a bad analogy, they're, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. The player is not World Rugby. And it, that's, that to me is terrifying because where is the player welfare? And this extending, you know, oh, they shouldn't be back on a pitch within 12 days. Johnny Sexton was back six days later. Oh, well, he failed his HIA1, but he passed his HIA2, so he's not concussed. It was like, hang on a minute, that's, they, they found, we're sitting there again, but they, they, all they've done is found a loophole in the process. They're talking about a gold standard. I'm like, it's not a gold standard. It can't be a gold standard because you've actually just exploited your own loophole. I think, I think that's, that's where, that's where um, I, I have, you know, as far as I'm concerned though, and we te we, we've said this before, World Rugby are toothless. Because they have that they don't have the money in the game, they don't have the skin in the game. They're too they, they're open to too many commercial enterprises pulling them from pillar to post. Because they no, well, the thing they is, uh, players. they care about money. That's it. Well, you know, the problem I think is that is yes, I, that 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 might might be and is probably correct, but there will be people that are human in world rugby who are wanting to try and solve problems. The problem they have is that currently at this moment in time, the amount of money that's involved from the, from the different, um, from the different unions and the different professional bodies, etc., it's probably, and this sounds terrible, but it's probably right at this moment in time, cheaper to pay someone off and get them to sign a known disclosure than to actually put things into place. Because as far as I'm concerned, you have to take away any doubt. So, for example, if you talk about a head knock on a pitch, the doubt has to be taken away. So, as far as I'm concerned, as you said, next um, three, you know, um, you set a time. If they're coming off the field, they're coming off the field for three to six weeks, and that's the way it is. And it's across the board because I know players that have that have torn 
calf muscles torn torn you know i know it's not the same as a brain injury but they've to- they've, they've, they've hurt themselves and will go on back and will go back on the pitch and they're, they're fully engaged with the you know the with their conscious you know because it's not a, a brain injury but they will go and do that because they want to be back on the pitch so you have to take that away from them because they're not making they shouldn't be the, the players should not be making the decision yeah i'm fine coach put me back on the field and the coaches should not be making that decision because they've got all the other external pressures on them. Sorry, I ranted a little bit there. No, Look, do you think, no, no you I, didn't. I think we need, like, a lot of time what we end up with um, is the medical professionals and other people as well. Well, we'll start with the medical professionals. There's a bit of self-interest in there. Right. Every game should have an independent doctor doing HIAs mm-hmm. or yeah. as we've seen, um, you know, they're start they've got these saliva tests they can maybe do for concussion, which are gonna be trialed. And I think the women's fifteens and I think it may be in like Australian football. Like not Aussie rules football, like Australian soccer. Um but, uh, as well as the independent uh, doctors, I mean we've seen some of the um what I particularly remember is Finn Russell's red card against France when we won it in the 84th minute, right? Why is it the French TV directors can only find a couple of angles when it comes to a decision which might go in their favour? I mean, this is off the chart, but this is like we should have more independence mm-hmm. um, in rugby in terms of you know big decisions. Um, Especially dots like medical decisions, like we said, you know, we've who is the Irish um prop that I think it was the first test against New Zealand, like the, oh, the game, the game against Marys, Lofman, Lawman, and yeah, then they they did an inquiry the next day, and realized they had failure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that was a straight out, I mean, that guy stumbled back then, decked it, he used to be off the piss straight away, but this this happened a few times with them. Um, We've seen other injury. Well, the the eight hundred minute France v Wales game where you know French tight heads went down with knee injuries, which led to HIAs. Um, you know this is why we need independent doctors. Uh, we need independent people on the sidelines to say, no, hang on, I'll I'll do this rather than you know you can have your own physios and what have you. And, mm-hmm. That, but when it comes to stuff like that, it needs to be independent. There needs to be no skin in the game whatsoever. It just needs to be, this is for this person's welfare. This is for this player's welfare. And that's all I'm concerned about. I think it's Tanny Gray-Thompson wrote a paper five or six years ago. I can't remember who she wrote the paper for, but it was basically saying that it, exactly what you've just said, Ian, that across sport, medics need to be completely independent because otherwise there is a conflict. And I'd go to the level of, you know, you have you have match day officials, have a couple of medics in there as well that are employed or allocated or whatever by the Six Nations or by World Rugby, and that have as little affiliation as possible with either of the teams playing and are purely there to protect the players. But I mean, the, the logistics, it might be something, I mean, it's something that could be trialled at the World Cup next year. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. They managed to do it with lawyers for 2019. Um, but I just, I think it would be interesting to see the 
level, see if there's a difference in the level of care, but it would certainly give a huge amount of reassurance. Was lost in 2019, Mark Dawson's uh, suggestion very just. <laughs> Um, no, after 2015... That's why I raised raised my eyebrow at that point. <laughs> no, it was, oh, it was not Mark Dodson. No, no, um, in 2015, some of the Tier 2, and I hate using that phrase, but some of the Tier 2 teams um, got red cards. They found it very difficult to get legal representation. They didn't have the money to pay for it. So in 2019, World Rugby had a pool of lawyers for those teams. Um there's a great guy I follow on Twitter, we chat sometimes, called Aaron Lloyd, who's a New Zealander, and he was one of them. And it worked really, really well. It just meant that they got uh, they got better representation and it was far more balanced across the board. Didn't agree with a lot of the decisions, but at least everybody was given an equal opportunity. Oh, talking about tier two people we don't use, Stanley. Oh, former guests. That was a good interview, and then it was. Then he, it was a very good interview. Then, then he went old GK Rowling, right? <laughs> so, well, we we'll we'll, we'll, we'll plow on. Um, we're yeah. So we're at, we're at a situation now. So obviously, the the article the articles that have been released have kind of detailed. You know, Siobhan Catigan sadly, twenty um, sixth of November, twenty twenty one, she died, and. Um, the articles themselves detail um, some of the some of the things that have you know some of the things that have uh, been said to have happened in the time after then. Um, I should again note that the, the SRU have responded to some of this, saying it's not necessarily um, things they they recognise, but we'll come to that. So just just as a few things that I've kind of noted. Obviously, we should obviously caveat all this. You guys have indicated throughout as well that there is litigation taking place. Uh, there is an uh, intention, um, an intent for action has been submitted uh, or is in the process of being submitted as was confirmed at the AGM by Mark Dodson. So we know there is litigation taking place. So obviously, everybody involved in this has to be very careful about what they say. Um, hence, some of the interviews have been slightly um, more... Um, um, generic. Let's let's go with that. I think that's the term. But you know, a couple of things I've noted. So um, from the the Times article, the family have suggested that um, there was an indication players were kind of told not to not to attend or were, weren't given much of a, an option to attend the funeral. Um, there was, oh, and certainly they were they were also told not to contact the family. Uh, the SRU have stated this was them respecting the family's wishes. Obviously, the family disagree with that. Um, there was also the 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 stuff around tributes that I, I kind of indicated earlier on. There was an opportunity to perhaps have a tribute at the Open Internationals that didn't happen. The women's team were able to uh, they they were they were going to have a tribute on on uh, their game, and there was a debate about the crest being up or down. The players. It seems their wishes weren't necessarily respected with regards to how uh, Shabon was was um, respected in that instance. Um, so, I mean, there was a few other things kind of come out of it as well. But um, we'll move on, kind of to to the response that's come out. Ian, you've read you've read the the, the articles that have come out. You've obviously read the the press coverage of the AGM and obviously the response to the article itself. Um, 
the SRU don't help themselves, do they? No, um, it all seems seems like there's the initial response. I feel seems kind of cut and paste, um, and then you know the AGM. Although one thing that uh, I think it was Alistair Reid or maybe Stuart Bathgate in the off the line, nobody, no, not a single member at the club AGM or, or the first part of it raised the Siobhan Catagan issue. Um, so I, I find that a wee bit disconcerting. I don't know if Sterling were there or what have you. Um, but like I said, I mean, the whole thing just seems very... It seems very lawyer talk. And no disrespect, obviously, to Nick's... But, um, you know, my brother's also a lawyer. <laughs> no, no, um, I'm technically not a lawyer, so you'd say. All right, cool. So, no, it is... And the thing with the whole crest up, crest down, or specifically the way that it's described um, in the article by Siobhan's parents, it sounds callous. You know, it sounds more like a marketing thing than a callous, like, no, you have to have to crest up. It's like, no, but this isn't isn't about just this game of rugby. It's about honouring our friend, our player, somebody who was so integral to us. Uh, in that group, because Siobhan Catagan was like, I think I'd seen her play five times, maybe. And I thought, oh, wonderful, wonderful rugby player. Like, obviously, she's in like, competition with Jade Conkle or Jade the Conqueror, as I like to call her. And you know, a, a pure, like, a proper glass ceiling breaker for um, women's rugby in Scotland. And Rachel Malcolm's obviously in the back row as well. Um, it's just sort of, yeah, we this, this, that. It's it's very kind of dull, and it, and like I said, I, I some of it seemed callous. Like, I think, yeah, next time you come. The, the bit that really got me, and I um, I think it was it was Mark Palmer, and I think Tom English who was saying that there were no questions asked at the AGM. Um, and I actually put a tweet out, and if anybody is listening to this, and you're going to the second part of the AGM and you want help wording a question or something, please get in touch. Pro bono, you know, I'm not... I think I've got a big thing about governance. You can't complain about the SRU if you go to the AGM and you don't then ask questions. Um, but that's a, that's a rant for a different day. Um, I think what really got me is that so few people from the SRU contacted Siobhan's parents to express their condolences. And I was slightly, I was really taken aback when Siobhan's dad said to me that the only contact they'd had from, you know, the the higher echelons um, was an attachment to an email that was sent to her uncle. And part of me did think, oh gosh, you know, and then, you know, uh, the BBC, the question and answer that they did with Mark Dodson and James Robson and John Jeffrey after the AGM, sure enough, it's in there. And that's, you know, they didn't, and it was, a, I think it was an email, the attachment was a letter from the outgoing president. Um, nothing from Dodson, nothing from Jeffrey. Now, I don't know about Dodson. I know John Jeffrey's a parent. You would think in that situation that, you don't know what to say. Nobody knows what to say. It's an absolutely awful, tragic situation. But you write a letter and you say, you know, Siobhan, she did 
she played brilliantly in this match and you do a bit of research and you put your you bring compassion and empathy to the forefront and the the lack of that and i know um i mean the the reason that john jeffrey one of the reasons he gave for there not being an independent review is that um it would have taken two years and they couldn't have done that i'm um I'm not actually quoting directly, but they couldn't have done that to to their people. Well, Siobhan was one of their people. And surely, surely you want to know what happened. And you want to show her family that level of respect. And I appreciate that the independent inquiry can't now happen because of the legal action. So feasibly, it could happen in a courtroom. And that as well, sitting there and I'm thinking this could have happened six months ago. And the Cricket Scotland inquiry, that took six months. There's absolutely no reason that it would an inquiry would have taken two years. So I think, like, the fact that they said, oh, they're, you know, they're not one of our people. I, I think she was. Like, maybe well, they, not they, no, he, didn't say that she, he didn't say that she wasn't one of their people. He just focused on, he couldn't do that to, I suppose, his current people. But the implication is there. And it was like, well, he, she played 19 times for Scotland. So that almost sounds like you're trying to cover up for people that you know who may have done her wrong. And I mean, she's I mean, she's part of the Scottish Rugby Union. She played for a team yeah. of the well, Scottish Rugby Union. She was wearing she to be balanced. Is though, to be balanced, though, he does have a responsibility in his Absolutely. role to to make sure that you know the guys that are under his employ and under the employ of the SRU are appropriately supported. And but whether, I think. That- you know, there is the I think argument that's yeah, I think that's symptomatic of the SRU's approach to a lot of things. And I mean, we're going back to the Keith Russell affair, to the typhoon in Japan, um, that they come out all guns blazing and they think that scrutiny is a bad thing. I think scrutiny is a good thing. Yeah. Accountability and responsibility are good things. An independent review in tragic circumstances is not about blaming people. It's about finding out what happened. And even when you got your, you know, when we got our review into the Keith Russell affair, half it was redacted. Because I remember John and Cammy doing the podcast mm. about it, and you know, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a difficult podcast to do because we didn't have much to speak about because it was so all talk about, behind. <laughs> it's, again, it's lip service. It's all about oh, it's accountability and that's that. And then they just redact half it. I mean, they're like they're more secretive than the CIA. Is this is is, is old glory actually just a drug laundering, you know, um, side business that they're doing? Ian, we have to be very clear that old glory, for goodness sake, yeah, we're talking about money in the women's game, and that's what the best part of a million pounds it's been written off at least. And the, the, I mean, some of the, the governance, especially about redacting reports and the lack of transparency. That really frustrates me because this is not a private company. This is a sporting governing body. They are answerable to the clubs, to the, to all of the stakeholders. So be open and honest. And I, I genuinely, it, as soon as somebody starts behaving the way that Dodson and Jeffrey were behaving in this interview, well, this BBC article, my brain just goes to write, what have you got to hide? What have you been up to? Craig. I mean, James Robson Craig, is the I'll only come. one who comes out of that with any credit whatsoever. 
as being a compassionate, empathetic individual. That tends to happen. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come to Jim Shrubs in a second, Craig. I'll come to you just quickly. The uh, the description of the SRU's response in, in the media has been lacking basic humanity, empathy or compassion. Um, what what What's your feel for that? You, have you read the response uh, from the SRU? I've read a bit of it. Um, it's very much, I think we've, we've talked about it earlier on, I think I think the, the, the bottom line with the SRU is that, that, that they are circling the wagons. Um, and, and so they are looking upon it as the least said the better because there's a legal case now. And... And, and and I'm not and please you know as I say I've, I'm trying to stay absolutely balanced on this one. I am finding it very difficult to 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 because I know people within the SRU. I know people within the women's rugby. I'm a human being. Um, I am a uh, hopefully I'm a compassionate human being. So it's there are so you know the, 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 and we have to be careful when. You know, people are talking about many different responses, and the bottom line is that parents and family have lost their child. And um, you know, we especially when we're talking about um, about different things within the SRU, etc. They're under investigation legally. They're going to circle the wagons, and they're not going to give the press anything that will. You know, we, we talk about the players who don't who seem to come across without a personality because they're, they're being media managed. I can guarantee that John Jeffrey and, and Mark Dodson are being media managed. So, you know, yes, it may come across as um, cold and inhuman and this, that, and the other. They are they are not letting. They're not going to let emotion come into it at all because it can be, whether it's one way or the other, it can be all of a sudden splashed all over the press that, that Dodson said this or Jim Jeffrey said that, but also within a, within a legal side of things, it can be then thrown up to them in a league. So they're going to just keep it stoop. And and that that's, and, and okay, you know, and that's where James Robson, Robson is slightly different um, because no matter... You know, he's a medical professional. He's confident in what he has done and what his team have done. And he is, and most medical professionals, whether they seem cold when you're going into the doctors to talk about whatever your problem is, they do actually care. Um, and, and I think or their job is people, um, whereas Dodson and, and, and John Jeffrey, etc., they, they have a different job. Um, and they will be they will be managed within an inch of their life. I Certainly, in this case, because yeah, I think I think again, as with World Rugby, I think there are insurers involved. Yeah, there'll be insurance company lawyers involved. Um, I think that the, I mean, we we know that Dodson is. I'm trying to think how to word this diplomatically. Um, communication oh, with the media over. Um, <laughs> I could do it not so diplomatically. No, <laughs> no, we're still no. on public. <laughs> um, communication with the media over touchy subjects is not his strong point. Yes. And it's one of those situations, you know, the chief executive, he had to front up. But I think 
he could have been media managed better, said possibly even less, but come across as a better person. I think so. Whoever their advisors are, I think either hasn't ever watched him talk to the media before, or didn't advise him well enough. I don't know. I just wonder if he's maybe gone for like a whole Trumpian thing of I will just the people who will advise me will tell me exactly what I want to hear. Well, he can't do that now. The insurance company's involved. Exactly. <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting as well, isn't it? So obviously, as part of that article, um, the, I mean, the headlines that come out of these, and obviously we have to, you know, we've spent a bit of time researching this and we're trying to give a balanced view. You know, obviously, there's going to be legal action. Things are going to come out. You know, uh, Dodson was quoted as saying, the optics of this are not what we're trying to establish. We're trying to establish the facts. And I think, do you know what? In some cases, that's that's fair. <laughs> That's a fair thing. Like, yes, the look isn't great, but ultimately it's about, you know, what are the facts of the situation and what what, what do we learn from this? Um, what, one of the headlines that come out, though, the SRU um, stated, or, or uh, Jeffries, uh, John Jeffries stated that the courts might, in fact, be the most appropriate place to look into this death. And again, that's it's such a difficult it's such a difficult subject. It's such a difficult situation they're in that I think I think they're absolutely right in that, and the thing that also followed on with that, and John Jeffrey stated that he's comfortable with the actions of our people, and we've talked about that as a statement as well. It's 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 such a difficult situation for them that this is going to play out in the way it does in a very public forum and under the the banner of everything else that's happening in rugby with you know, trans rights, with concussion, with everything else that's going on in rugby at this point in time. It's just, it's such a horrible, horrible situation to be playing out. And um, it's hard being a rugby fan just now. I think that that it's it's difficult being a rugby fan just now because you've got all these things going on that detract from the game. And it's, it's, it's it's really sad. It makes me really sad. Like obviously the whole situation makes me incredibly sad, but like from a from a rugby fan's perspective, it's so difficult. But but ultimately, we're in a position where we're not the the people that are at the the you know what what we think or feel doesn't actually matter in this instance because there's people in way 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 more challenging situations, and the the press is going to continue to have uh their 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 way with this and hopefully you know everyone gets um get gets to have their say and gets to have have you know the 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 appropriate methods and appropriate governance is is, is put into place um so we're going to we're probably going to wrap up there because i think an hour and a half is 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 plentiful i think is it to get anything else they want to add you know, closing statements, since we're doing this legal uh, the, style. The only, sorry, <laughs> the only thing I've been Thanks. asked you to come add in first. Sorry. The only thing I've been asked to add by Progressive Rugby is that despite comments in the media, we are not party to any of the legal action which is going on. So whether it's the Catagans, whether it's the, the legal action against World Rugby, um, 
Our focus is on making sure that lessons are learned. Sorry, I'm reading from a script and that current and future okay. players are protected as far as possible from the same fate. So just, you know, just so there's total clarity on that one. And as well, I mean, my, I don't know if Siobhan's parents will listen to this, but I mean, my, my absolute condolences to them. I, I just, I don't know what to say. It's just such an awful, awful situation. So I was going to say like, um, you know, John, you, you sounds a bit defeatist there. Um, but, you know, we, we should keep raising these points. We should keep, you know, um, not exactly promoting, but uh, keep mentioning these, these issues and this case in particular and all the other things. Um, because, you know, uh, you know, if you're a fan of rugby, what, you know, you just maybe look at it and go, all right, we've lost a, a really talented young player. But, you know, what's happened is there's a, a young woman who is adored and loved by many and many people from everything we, we have heard about or like from the articles and from you know people who maybe met her once or twice right we've lost a wonderful young woman um and our family are devastated by that and the sru need to investigate exactly how this came to be when it was kind of on their watch you know they should be doing more to look into it um yeah and you know we've all seen you know, it's it's not just us. It's we've we've all seen things about um, CTE and um, early onset dementia, all these kind of things. Um, you know, rugby's day of reckoning is coming, and there needs to be more compassion and thought into how that we play this game, um, and 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 in terms of safety as well. I think that's fair. Craig, have you got anything to? Have you have you got anything to see us off with? For for me, I think it's more the you know I I just I'd far rather look for calm in this rather media led storm. Um, I feel we have to understand, and everyone has to understand their actions within this, and I'm not talking about. The immediate people i'm talking about fans i'm talking about people within our community of being commentators on on things etc just the general rugby fan out there they have to understand that there's two two people looking to find out an answer of why they've lost a door and i think that has to be we have to remember that in everything that we do um and it's um, it, it, we have to be um, a little bit careful is the wrong word that's not what I'm trying to put across I would like everyone who is talking about this or is, is involved about this and I'm including the SRU in this, I'm including the press in this I'm including the, the family in this is that there are people out there hurting a dramatic amount and we can never replace what they've lost and so we have to make sure that we get to the bottom of whatever happens, why they have lost a door. And that's, you know, um, and they're allowed to be, they're allowed to hurt, you know, and they're allowed to grieve, you know. That's it in a nutshell, isn't it? It's about lessons learned and making sure that we, yeah, you can't, you can't change we can't change what's happened to date, but we can certainly learn and we can improve and can 
make sure this should, this hopefully should never happen again and that's that's really where where we should be aiming for so no that's uh, valid valid points craig so i think uh, we will we will close up at that so uh thank you everybody that's watched this live thank you who's listening back on audio and um, thank you next for joining us it's been great having you along um thank and thank you to ian ian and craig as well so yeah it is it's goodbye from me goodbye uh, from ian craig next right, thanks very much next thank you